1: Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Bolanos in San Francisco. Passenger rail service from San Diego to places north of San Clemente has still not been restored. KPBS reporter Thomas Fudge says the threat of a bluff collapse two months ago put a stop to the train travel.
0: In late September, transportation officials said San Diegans should expect passenger train service on Amtrak's coastal line to stop for at least 60 days. Hassani Crade is the executive director of the San Diego Association of Governments. He says bluff stabilization in Orange County is ongoing, and his hope and expectation is that rail service will indeed resume next month. This holiday season is really at the time when people enjoy that train ride. And people write me and text me and email me and say, what are you doing? Why I can't take the train to go Los Angeles and, and further north? Southern California's coastal passenger line, called the Surfliner, runs from San Diego to San Luis Obispo, and it's the second busiest rail corridor in the country. An unstable slope above the track in San Clemente posed the threat of a landslide. Unstable coastal bluffs are also a problem in San Diego County. Icrata says the ultimate solution in San Diego is to move the tracks inland, and the cost of moving the tracks will rely on federal funding. Congressman Mike Levin, a Democrat representing San Diego and Orange County, said federal officials are getting that message.
1: We had Pete Buttigieg out, Transportation Secretary. We had the president out, and he referred to the rail corridor as a priority. And we're just going to follow through as aggressively and persistently as we can to ensure those federal funds
0: come to our region. For the California Report, I'm Thomas Fudge in San Diego.
2: That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.
1: After wildfire season ends in the western U.S., those who lost their homes begin sifting through what's left to recover as much as they can. Jefferson Public Radio's Roman Battaglia visited the site of the McKinney Fire, where a team of trained dogs and archaeologists helped recover cremated remains left in urns that were lost in the fire. Turn. Piper, leave that.
2: Lynn Engelbert is guiding her dog, Piper, around the site of a home that burned down during the McKinney Fire this year, which devastated the small Klamath River community near the Oregon-California border. Today, she's at Valerie Linfoot's home, where a specially trained team of dogs and archaeologists are working together to find Linfoot's mother and grandmother. Their cremated remains were left behind when Linfoot had to evacuate. My husband was home. I wasn't home, so he had about 10 minutes. And so there was very little, but he was able to grab our pets, our safe, and port and papers. And um, he was able to get a few mementos that were near the safe. And that was about it. Lynn Foot's family members' urns were kept in her walk-in closet now just a faint outline of where it used to be. My best guess would be about a third of the way in against this wall, but may have fell forward. So it's under this piece of metal. Engelbert and her team are part of the Alta Heritage Foundation. She says they started in 2017 when a survivor of the Tubbs fire in Santa Rosa reached out to an archaeologist looking for help finding his parents' cremated remains in the rubble. The archaeologist connected them with Engelbert, who does work finding human remains with the Institute for Canine Forensics. One weekend on Saturday, I was working with the sheriff's office up there helping to look for victims with Piper. And they were finished with us that day. So I called this guy and I said, I can be at your house tomorrow morning. Piper found the remains in about two minutes. And I recovered them using a tuna fish can into Ziploc bags. Since then, Engelbert says they've been out to over 300 homes. The recovery process happens in two steps, combining archeology span and canine forensics. Once the handlers take their dogs through the site to locate the general area of the remains, the archeologists step in with shovels and dustpans to sift through the debris looking for the ashes. Chelsea Rose is one of the archeologists on this trip. She rubs a small piece of drywall in her hands and it dissolves into a very fine powder. In addition to kind of this like salmon color that we see, there's, um, it's a lot grittier than like some of the other materials we're seeing, like drywall and stuff like that. After lifting some metal sheets and imagining where the ashes could have landed in the firestorm, the team gets some good luck. Oh yeah, that so might that's be. About it. Yeah, that's one of them, I think. Yeah, and here's the other one. Oh yep. Oh my yep. god. Oh yep. my god. <laughs> there they are. The recovery process can be very emotional. Valerie Linfoot gets down close to the two small salmon-colored piles. I miss my mom so much, (laughs) I just couldn't bury her. I just wanted her with me. So then I felt really sad because I was the one that had the ashes, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I have two brothers and a sister. All the work that Engelbert and the others do is on their own dime. Engelbert says the cost of hotels, gas, and all the safety gear they need adds up. She says they've been working for five years trying to find a government agency that can support them. You know, we have massive pictures that we roll out on a desktop. And they look at that and they go, oh, that's heartrending. How sad. We'll see what we can do. And then that's the last you hear from it. The archeologists are able to identify who's who based on what's left of their urns and the age of the remains. They start packing up the ashes into Ziploc bags. Oh, Grandma Vera, I'm so sorry you've had to have this huge journey. But you were an adventurer and you would really understand this and appreciate the efforts of all these people. (laughs) The crew takes a short break before heading right next door to another recovery that day. The dogs are already excited for their next job. night when
1: I was walking up to get the truck, I could hear one of them whining. That's normal, right? Yeah, let's drive. Coach,
2: coach, I can do this, put Put me in! Engelbert says it can be devastating for families to imagine their loved one's remains getting sent to a toxic waste dump with the rest of the rubble. Even if they're ultimately unsuccessful, she says, this process helps families get some form of closure knowing they tried. For the California Report, I'm Roman Battaglia in Klamath River.
1: And that's the California Report for Tuesday, November 29th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Maddie Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
2: Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, Whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor II, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. Hey, QED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human centered journalism.